Hello, welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name is Beth and John, and I am a ex or an ex, I should say, get my grammar correct. I'm an ex neurosurgery trainee, current GP trainee, and as I say every week, specialising in everything and nothing. And with me, I do not have Therusha or anyone else for this podcast recording. And I am indeed flying solo again this week. Me and Therusha, we've not fallen out. Or again, grammar please, Therusha and I, we've not fallen out. I'm late recording the episode, but it's actually the 30th of January to today. And we normally record episodes on a Thursday. So this is the tweets of the week running up to Thursday, the 25th of January. But as always, with life and viral infections and all sorts of goings-ons. I'm recording this late and Thrusha's actually at a... He's conferencing in London this week, doing all sorts of clever things, I'm sure. Yes, it's just me. Before I go on, again, this is normally Thrusha's gambit and he's very good at this, but I need to shout out to our sponsors. Thrusha always does a great job. He's got the patter down to a T. And I'm sure I'm going to do this a disservice, but please check out our sponsors who are at CRBS underscore UK. So Scrubs UK, and they put the U in Scrubs. They're lovely, soft, fashionable scrubs for all of your scrubs needs. And I know this is where Therusha lists a whole list of professions that could benefit from scrubs. But yeah, if you need scrubs, check these guys out. Uh, we have a discount code, which is 2medics10. So T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-10, the number one zero, to get 10% off. And they are, like I said, soft, fashionable, not scratchy. The crotch seems to be in the right place. Lovely fitting for both men and women. And as we always like to remind everyone, treat yourself. So tonight... I'm fully equipped with a fluffy dressing gown, a hot water bottle, two cans of kiwi and lime cider, and apologies if you hear me cracking those open shortly, and I'm sure I'm going to end up monologuing this whole thing again, which will just end up being a stream of my consciousness, and I know I said this last time too, and I ended up speaking for 45 minutes at that point, but again, I promise, or at least I'll try to promise not to keep you too long. Also, on listening back to the last solo episode that I did, must have been like a month or so ago now, maybe a bit shorter, I felt like I was breathing really heavily for some reason, and I'm not sure what that was, and I was listening to it, and it annoyed the heck out of me, because all I could focus on was these heavy breath sounds, (laughs) and so I'm really sorry if that happens again. I've tried to alter my mic setup slightly differently with the pop filter and so on to see if that helps. But <laughs> apologies if you just keep hearing this heavy breathing. I, I would say I'll try not to breathe, but then there wouldn't be a podcast. But yeah, let's see how it goes. And I'm sure by the time I finish this episode, you'll really be missing Thrusha and realise how good you've got it when he's actually controlling things with the podcast and I'm sure he'll be back next week lots you know full of lots of information about the heart and other such related organs from his cardiology conference this week has been the this week sorry I should say has been the usual for me ongoing craziness and demand 
in primary care, then in true kind of postgraduate trainee or NHS worker fashion, I had £500 taken out of my paycheck this month for apparent overpayment, which was a bit of a shock. And no one needs that crap in, in January, quite frankly, do they? I got home from work today. My house smelt like a farm mixed with a sewer. And poor Noodle, when I got home, I was blaming her, thought she must have done a poo in the house somewhere. Searched high and low, didn't actually find any deposits that she had left me. And to be fair, I don't know why I even thought that. She's never pooed in the house before and she's actually better trained than I am. But I found the culprit in the kitchen and that was the cauliflower and broccoli bake that I'd cooked yesterday and which I'd actually accidentally left out of the fridge before I left for work this morning. So it's safe to say I've not had that for my dinner tonight. It's not me sick and I'm just going to stick to my kiwi and lime cider instead in true Welsh girl fashion. I did have my hair cut this week. I did post it on Twitter because I was very undecided about what I feel and what I think about it and there was lots of Lovely comments, which I really do appreciate. But you know, so the last time I actually had my hair cut was in July. And I normally have a lob. Is that what we call it? Like a long bob. That's my normal style. But I hate people washing my hair. I hate having my hair cut. So six months later, it got too long, went back. And you know when you say a length or you show a photo of the length? So I showed a photo of exactly how the same stylist did it last time. And I just asked for the same again. And they just ignore that. And in this case, went considerably shorter than what I'd requested. And it's already super awkward at a hairdresser, isn't it? Where you're sitting there, just looking at yourself in a mirror for at least like 30 minutes. I don't know what other situation you do that in, but it gets really awkward. And no one looks good in those, those protective like cape things that they put on. I always feel like you just look like a floating head that mildly resembles a thumb and your hair is like slicked back and wet and it's not, it's never a pretty sight. But I don't know if you're like me where they finish it and they look pleased with themselves and then they're like, oh, is this okay? And actually, that's not what I asked for. It's I'm getting used to it now. It wasn't that okay at the time. And you have to just say that it is because if you say no, what are they going to do? They can't exactly stick your hair back on. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm slowly getting used to it. I've washed and showered and washed my own hair, as you'll be glad to know, since I've had it cut. And it took remarkably less shampoo and conditioner. So that will help with the frugality side of things. And um, I don't know. I feel like I have air conditioning on my neck now. It's fully exposed and very cold. But when I, as a person who runs hot most of the time, it suited me in that respect. It's a shortish bob. It's too short to actually manage to tie it into an, even a tiny ponytail. And um, the more I think about it, the more it's given me like strong Dora the Explorer vibes. And I just keep humming to myself, back, back. But someone on Twitter said that it was actually a little bit Parisian, which is very kind of I'll take that. Anyhow, on the, the before on to the the podcast kind of tweets of the week, I realised that with regards to my haircut woes, it could be a lot worse because there was um, a tweet from Fesshole, so old 
an old love of Theresha and Imran and made a made an appearance on many of their previous podcast episodes. This festival was from January the 20th and it said, teacher here, got a haircut so bad that I got signed off work for six weeks as the kids were that brutal. So yeah, at least it's not that bad. So I'll take this. So starting back with the medical stuff for this week, a positive thread to start on, which is always welcome. There was a thread from Richard Appleby, who's a consultant gastroenterologist, about the taboo that is moving jobs as a consultant. So in his tweet, he talks about how he's decided to leave that there London and wanted to go somewhere more compatible with an outdoor lifestyle. And he ended up in sunny Devon. Now, if you've never been down that neck of the woods, Devon and Cornwall, you're missing out. Get there as soon as you can. It's a lovely part of the world. But his thread is lovely in the way that it mentions some of the lessons that he learned along the way. So he starts by saying that he assumed he would stay in London forever. And it was almost as much as a shock to him as it was to his colleagues about why he was upping sticks and moving considerably far away. But he said he learned a number of things. And that included kind of career assumptions, not assuming that consultant jobs are for life as he originally believed. And he said he he had this assumption that he only thought he would leave if it was for like a promotion to a larger academic post or department than what he was working at the time. And he acknowledged that the NHS is tough at the moment. He's lived in London most of his life, never worked elsewhere but was finding that living in London with a young family and decreasing spending power was losing its appeal. And after 19 years where his career had taken precedence, he thought, I'm putting the family first. Lovely pictures of Devon in this thread, so I would recommend it for that alone. But he talked a bit about how he decided where he was going to relocate to. And again, he mentions the kind of the outdoor lifestyle. And Devon and Cornwall is, of course, known for its gorgeous beaches. Oh, and pasties, I should say. He ended up going to North Devon in the end and felt that relaxed beach lifestyle suited him and his family and that they just slotted into the lifestyle down that end. So he talks about how he was terrified. He was aware that it was an under-resourced department, which I guess is very different when you're working in kind of central London hospitals. He he was worried that he was going to miss the big city. Was it a sensible move? Was he being foolish, kind of moving whilst from somewhere where he was already an established department? But as you can guess, with the positive nature of me talking about this tweet, it all worked out very well in the end. And he essentially finishes it by saying, come and work with me. Do you know what? That's a perfect job advert, isn't it? Because there genuinely is job or job openings for consultants in his department. So do you know what? As you know, as an advert, it's great, but actually he makes a very good point and he very kindly says his dms are open with regards to other people who are considering making the leap and making that move so i'm sure i'm going to bring down the tone probably later on in the podcast with a few other tweets but that was that felt like a good wholesome thread to start on and good to read if you're a bit of a crossroads in terms of applying for senior posts and moving jobs or moving cities. And again, just a reminder that life is okay outside of London, because sometimes we're led to believe that's the only place to be, but absolutely not the case. Again, promised as I would to bring the tone down. I had a bit of an unwanted experience with my the outcome of my ARCP this week, and that was a lovely outcome five for not enough evidence. 
which is fair enough. And I was told about the bits of evidence that were missing and I can sort that. But the bit that really got me was a sentence that was a nice little threat about GMC referral for, quote, ongoing non-engagement with the revalidation process. And it said that in a sentence about not having a form R, when, of course, I already had uploaded a form R well prior to my ARCP. So it felt upsetting on both accounts to have that. And I'm working on that in terms of seeing if I can get those comments removed or amended or at least my own comments put into that outcome before I sign it off but that is small fry compared to what Dr Roderick Jenkins went through he describes himself as a rural geriatrician and it sounds like he had a horrific GMC nightmare and he very admirably recounted all of this on Twitter the original thread was actually posted in October 23 And I'm not sure how I missed that. So that original thread in October spoke about how he underwent a 20-month GMC investigation into his practice, having been referred by a family member of a patient. By that point, he'd already kind of been referred to the local serious incident panel, the coroner and government ombudsman, who all apparently closed the case immediately. And... From all those kind of avenues, there was no concerns about the the level of care in that case. But the GMC kind of investigation side of things was absolutely not as straightforward. And he talks about how they called expert witnesses, but I think expert is putting it lightly. And I think that's a long time to have something like this hanging over you, which could very seriously change and ruin your career knowing what we know about our regulator it's not something to just be brushed off and and I'm sure it'll be fine because I'm not sure we will know that it will ever be fine again knowing what we know about our regulator but that was a good kind of really hard to read thread from October and, and how the GMC really messed him about he says every GMC email was confrontational and distressing every deadline by the GMC was missed. Of course, they wouldn't have standed for that kind of situation from the person being investigated. He says they were are or they were appallingly organized and poor quality investigations were undertaken. And he also went on to say about how he was trying to feed this back to him and had been met, I think, with a bit of a brick wall. And that's what I guess reads us on to the tweet that I did then see this week from, let's see what date that's from, the 22nd of January, which is a bit of an update about how discussions had gone with regards to him trying to feed this back to the GMC. And I think, again, no surprise to anyone, it's not really been a positive experience. And in his own words, he says, the whole thing has been incredibly enlightening, damning and utterly depressing. And I guess it's quite sad and shameful to think that's not unsurprising in itself, is it? And that's what we're paying a lot of money to our regulators for but he yeah he essentially says they've not been interested despite him trying to raise all the concerns and issues with this investigation and that's just one person so think about all of the issues and, and problematic investigations into other doctors and especially international medical graduates we know who are unfairly referred and, and investigated or disproportionately unfairly referred and investigated 
So he mentions that he's been contacted by a few people who've been through similar terrible experiences with the GMC, which is, again, really sad to read, but unsurprising, that the themes are consistent in all these experiences and that one of the main issues is terrible timelines and uncertainty with months and years that your life is on hold. Lots of essential presumption of guilt with accusatory and totally unempathetic communications. So I guess that goes against the old adage, doesn't it? Innocent until proven guilty. It seems to be the opposite way around with our regulators. And he says, many share my anger that when a case is dismissed and there is no case to answer, the GMC seems to somehow still throw in some final barbs about still thinking in what way you can improve which our careers are lifelong reflections anyway. So it seems a bit harsh that this is like a particular outcome from the kind of the GMC when there has been no case to answer for. But this gentleman, again, mentions about how people have killed themselves whilst they've been on GMC, under GMC investigations. So again, that's another reminder why threats of being referred to our regulator, really, it's really inappropriate to throw those around. And what's next for him? He says he's going to continue spreading this message until I am heard on their clinical and diagnostic reasoning issues and absence of support for experts. I am now complaining via my GP. I am lucky to be from a family of lawyers, privileged and afraid of shining a light on the GMC. So I guess best of luck to him because what a horrible situation. It really shouldn't be that way, should it? It really shouldn't. So again, maybe it's good to switch to a lighter note now, but there was a tweet this week from Isla, who's a primary care nurse, who stated that one of the good things in primary care or in, or in GP land, as she calls it, is developing good working relationships with patients where you can get away with a bit of cheek and banter with each other. Now, I think it's safe to say that once you've developed those relationships and that continuity of care, that you may not get as much in secondary and tertiary care. You can absolutely be a little bit more liberal and, and cheeky with some of your consultations, but that's not official advice from me. That's not something that I can say is technically advice, and it's certainly not something that can, can be taught. But for me personally, that continuity, getting to know people and having maybe some of those more frank and, and cheeky discussions is, is definitely one of the perks of the job in general practice. And I guess we have to look for those perks where we can, because there's not they're few and far between in general practice at the moment. Going along with the light-hearted shenanigans, it seems, as we all know, that medicine can lend itself to quite a few hilarious typos. And this seemed to be the week for it for some reason today, uh, or this week, I should say, rather. The first one I saw was um, a tweet reposted by Kate Jarman, who says, this is now my favourite typo. And I assume the original tweet has been since deleted, but it was a post from the Nursing Standard, which started by saying, shit work and nurse being how to combat the health risks. Now, I assume they meant shift work, but also shit work will, works as well, doesn't it? So I'm getting a bit tongue-tied there. The next one I saw this week was another shit typo, and I it literally. So this was by Helen Metcalf and her tweet said, Dear A&E doctor, if your patient exam consisted of a shit lamp examination, could I politely suggest that your department invest in some new devices, perhaps slit lamp? Kind regards, Team GP. So again, I, I loved that one. And then this is not medicine related, but I couldn't resist because I think we've all accidentally wanted to send an email that says this 
to someone who we've worked with. None of us are immune from that. This was a tweet by Pam Foe, whose handle is at NerdyPam. When I was a baby agent, an editor from Penguin sent me a very nice rejection on something I'd submitted and I decided to walk away before responding, which is definitely good advice. My cat somehow walks over the keyboard and sends a reply to the editor. It said, you ass. I've never mentally recovered. It was 11 years ago. So yeah, I think that seems quite divine in the way that's come about. And I'm sure we all have someone who we've worked with where we wouldn't mind sending an email that just simply said, you ass, and maybe we can blame it on the cat or the dog. Who knows? But again, this is not official advice from me before we all start getting into some trouble. And you know how we like to throw a little bit of CPD into the podcast episodes from time to time. This one was definitely news for me. And I quote, did you know that paediatrics is a completely unnecessary and fraudulent field? That's news to me. Complete news to me. So this was a a tweet by Dr. Jason Dean, who surprisingly says that they're a doctor, which is a big juxtaposition between being a doctor and then claiming that paediatrics as a field isn't legit. And they participate in a platform called Brave TV. And I guess you don't need to you don't need me to tell you what type of content it is that they post about, but it obviously contains truth about vaccines and something about 5G or 6G or something or other. So I'm sure you get the gist or the vibe of what I'm trying to say. But their tweet goes on to say, paediatrics is a completely unnecessary and even fraudulent field. What do they do? They measure length, weight, lungs, pulse, etc. All things a parent could do just to tell a parent what preconceived growth chart their child ranks under. The chart is also a fraud considering it's based on chronically sick kids. So what are paediatrics really about? Programming the parents for years of toxic vaccines and to build a chronically ill child that will need their services for the follow-up drugs, and drugs is in capital letters. They will need like antibiotics, inhalers, and synthetic sugary nutrition products. Don't know what they are, but they sound delicious. Parents, you and your children are programmed and made ill from day one. Obstetrics programs even before the paediatrician. Where do you go from there? That's a lot of interesting words for someone to say and interesting thoughts for someone to have but uh, yeah so make that what you will apparently the existence of peds as a legit medical field is is up for debate as per this chap but i think to counteract that it's it's good to have some real true information about vaccines and some good news coming out of vaccines of which there are many things But this week, there was an announcement that said that there were no cervical cancer cases that have been detected in women who have been fully vaccinated against HPV. And that was a statement released by Public Health Scotland. Now, isn't that incredible? No, no cases of cervical cancer since the rollout of the HPV vaccine. So obviously, in the population that have been vaccinated against that. And... I don't know, that's just groundbreaking, isn't it? And I I feel a bit like in awe every time I read it or every time I see that statement. 
because it's something groundbreaking that's happened in our lifetimes. And there's lots of stuff in healthcare that is quite groundbreaking in our lifetimes. But the fact that this condition may become like historical and future doctors will read about it as something that used to happen, but doesn't happen anymore. And it might just get to the point where they deal with the complications or outcomes of treatment or from someone having had that condition rather than ever diagnosing that condition themselves. And I guess it's similar along the lines of when I was in medical school, kind of 10 to 15 years ago, we were taught a lot about the kind of the sequelae of like rheumatic fever and the findings and examination and, and such like that, which I still haven't seen to this day, but neither have I ever seen a new case of rheumatic fever diagnosed. And again, it feels like something historical. So I don't know, that just, that seems pretty incredible. And whilst I've got my, how do I call it, like my primary care, general practice, health promotion hat on, which is a very big hat, by the way, I think it's good for me to do a little bit of a PSA about your measles vaccination status, because I'm sure you've heard by now, there's been a bit of a measles outbreak in in the West Midlands with about 350 cases of measles being confirmed in England since October alone, so two to three months. And compare that to 53 cases of confirmed measles in England in the entirety of the year 2022, so in 12 months. So I just want to use this episode, I guess, as a reminder of the real damage that can be done with vaccine misinformation and to urge you to ensure that you, your loved ones, your children have been appropriately vaccinated against MMR. You need to have had two doses of the MMR vaccine to be best protected. So if you think you've only had one, then you know what to do. And the advice this time is actually to speak to your GP, because I feel like that's the lot, lots of kind of public information campaigns about things always end up in see your GP, which sometimes feels inappropriate. But this time, if you think you're not vaccinated enough, I think it's fair to to see a GP and get that second dose in. Keeping with the medical topics for just a little bit longer, I know you're as itching to move on from the doom and gloom as, as I am, but there was an article shared by Dr. Rachel Clark this week in The Guardian that had the title, Physician Associates Aren't Doctors and Shouldn't Be Regulated as Such says BMA. Then the subheadline says union says government's plans for general medical council regulation diminishes the role of doctors and could confuse patients. So to accompany this article, Dr. Rachel Clark writes a thread stating in the first tweet of the thread, the government doesn't want you to know it, but it is currently conducting a massive unevidenced cost cutting experiment in the NHS, replacing doctors with so-called physician associates. And I guess from everything that we've read and heard so far it's not hard actually no that's it's hard to disagree with that that's what I meant sorry as in that's very much a fair assumption to make she goes on to say further in her thread that PAs were originally termed physician assistants and that I think people were under the impression or were informed that they were introduced to the kind of support doctors with kind of more simpler or, or basic tasks I get for what for, I guess for want of a better word I guess then with the aim of freeing up doctors to do the more kind of complex tasks and, and procedures etc 
However, there's concern that the Department for Health and Social Care is actually using PAs as a cost-cutting opportunity. And Rachel Clark says, why not replace highly trained and skilled doctors with a cheaper alternative? More bang for your buck. And who really needs to hear or who, sorry, who needs all that expertise? Anyway, I'm getting a bit tongue-tied because I don't know, this is a topic that is really concerning me and I want to do it justice. I don't want it just to turn into, again, personal and bullying, PA bashing, which some of it has turned into on Twitter. She talks about how scope creep began, the differences between a typical medical degree and a PA degree, and how PAs can even be found in some places on senior registrar on call rotors. And all of those things are are a considerable concern. And it was just quite refreshing to see a thread that isn't purely about PA bashing or personal to specific PAs, which when that has happened and it has become quite abusive, and we've all seen examples of that over the course of at least several months, and no one can deny that. I guess it's refreshing to see a thread that is a bit more measured, doesn't muddy the genuine concerns that we have as doctors by resorting in personal attacks and bullying behaviour. And so a good thread to check out, especially if you have relatives or friends that are not in healthcare themselves and are not really sure what this is all about. And with regards to PAs and MAPs, I feel like I keep saying to yourselves on the podcast or, or to myself, watch this space, because I just don't know, like nothing else seems to be happening in that space to report back to. There are still lots of concerns being raised and it doesn't feel like a great deal has changed at present and that's no criticism. But what I mean is we've not heard any kind of rollback from the government and as far as we know, the rollout is still going ahead in terms of, especially in terms of the bigger NHS long-term workforce plan. And there was an article I saw this week that's come out, so I'm sure Thrusha and I will end up discussing it on next week's episode. That was by done in collaboration with Doctors Association, I believe, about a survey they did and some of the concerns that were raised there by doctors about PAs. And I guess I haven't read it all yet, and it'll be good to read it and not take it with a pinch of salt because I'm sure the concerns are genuine, but more so it sounds a bit like an informal survey. But it will be good to discuss that with yourselves and Therusha next episode and, and see what we think. But anything that raises genuine concerns about this topic is not a bad thing in my eyes. Something that, and this is the last bit I'm going to say on PAs for for this week at least, something that was a little bit confusing to see this week was a quote from an article that was called The Pros and Cons of Being a Physician Associate Student and Honest Account. So that is on a website called Postgraduate Search and forgive me, I'm just seeing what that is. So it's a website that says, start your postgraduate journey, discover the courses, funding and advice to get you there. So it seems a bit of a, like a search engine for an, an, a website for information about what to do postgraduate. <laughs> so the bit of the article that many of us found particularly interesting read, or stated rather, It's an alternative route into medicine, talking about being a physician associate student. 
If you're interested in all things anatomy and physiology, but don't think that being a doctor is the right fit for you, PA studies is a great alternative way to get into medicine. It allows you to learn from a clinical perspective and spend time with patients. And this is the bit, this is the best bit. Without delving too deep into the nitty gritty science of medicine. Now I'm conscious I probably went a bit more Welsh there. That's my incredulous disbelief voice. That's what happens. I become more Welsh. Same effect when I become frustrated and angry. We get very Welsh then. But I don't know. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to have to take a swig of my cider shortly to get over that. But I guess it's a bit short-sighted. And I personally am very tired after a full day of knitting and grittying today, if that's the right verb. But let's take that as a cue to move on past all the PA medical MAP stuff for this week. I've already hit over 30 minutes, so maybe it was a bit of a lie when I said I might not keep you as long as last time. But we're getting there, I promise. We've all had our fill of the medical doom and gloom and the nitty gritty, I should say, as well. So let's lift things with a bit of non-medical content that has caught my eye this week. I like to call this our lifestyle section, or maybe it could be like the and finally section that they have at the end of the news. But the first tweet I wanted to mention was a, a tweet by Scott, whose handle is at DOB86. It was a tweet that Scott wrote that resonated a lot with me this week. Now, Scott is an Obs and Gynae consultant. He's a long-time listener to the show. Hi, Scott. But this was a tweet not about healthcare or medicine. It was about a general sentiment that said, I sometimes come across as nervous when speaking. If I'm stumbling over my words, it doesn't necessarily mean I haven't got a point or don't know what I'm talking about. Usually, it's a defense mechanism to stop me telling you what I really think. Now, I totally felt that. And it's something I feel that I do also when I'm quite irate or frustrated. Like I somehow, like I get very, because like I get a lot more Welsh or Welsher, if that's the right word. I somehow forget the English language in those brief moments. I start, (laughs) excuse me, I start making noises that probably sound something to, something akin to the noises a baby dinosaur would make. And I hate then how that can make me come across like I'm clueless or whatever. In those situations, I feel like it should be appropriate to, from the other person who you're having this kind of debate or argument or whatever with, I feel like you should say, okay, I just want 20 minutes to allow me to compose a structured, sensical, not too offensive reply, and I'll get back to you. I don't know what it is about the heat of the moment, man, but scrambles our brains and uh, talking about how we speak there was a tweet this week from a schematologist md (laughs) who said about phrases that need to die a death so or die a forever death to use her specific words so these phrases included you look tired i agree with that and i think we mentioned a tweet the last episode that said many people are going through a tough time nothing that you know about couldn't guess but make sure you make it worse by telling them that they look tired on top of everything else so I get that one but the other phrases that need to die a forever death include they're in a better place now everything happens for a reason it could always be worse boys will be boys 
no offence, but, and it is what it is. Now, there's probably loads that we could all add to that. I hate it when someone says, basically, and then they say what they need to say, or I'm not being funny, but, and it's just like, actually, no, you're not being funny. I don't know why you have to preface your comment with that phrase. I sometimes find it when annoying, I guess, when people say, literally, X, Y, or Z. No, but I do that, so can't really put that one there. But yeah, there's. I feel like there's a lot. And I realise as well, like I really hate business speak. And I'm having this thing at, my, at the moment with kind of my supervisor, who obviously is older than and more senior than me. But I feel like the way they ask questions sometimes is like, phrased in like a different language like business speak like it's still English but it's phrases like starting from zero or they've not said this one but another one I hate is uh, like circling back I don't know what they mean just just say what you mean in basic English please but to be fair I do feel like I say it is what it is all the time and that's because I probably don't have the language for something or to explain how I feel, because it's hard, man, it's hard. Or again, I'm annoyed or irate about something and I I don't want to be unprofessional or rip someone's head off. So I'll say sometimes it is what it is to try and (laughs) confirm to myself, like actually you don't need to retaliate here. But yeah, and I am super annoying as a person. So it fits, it fits. I think, I'm just looking at the time, it's been nearly 38 minutes exactly. I'm sure it'll be a bit of a bit shorter once Therusha edits a lot of my heavy breathing and <laughs> pauses out. And I guess on that note, maybe I should say it is what it is, or this podcast has been what this podcast has been. And it certainly has been a stream of my consciousness, as I promised and it was a stream of consciousness that you never asked for. But if you're still here and you're still listening, thank you so much. And I hope it's been a good but brief rundown of some of the topics from this week. So as I mentioned, Therusha should hopefully be back next week. Again, you'll be glad to hear. Full of more exciting cardiology knowledge, as per usual. And yes, thank you for your company. Thank you for listening, if you are. Don't forget to check about your MMR vaccine status. That's the key take-home message this week, guys and gals. What is your MMR vaccine status? But also importantly, take care and look after yourselves. And until next time, adios. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.